welcome to the Non-Woke Coach Podcast, the show that celebrates success without the woke. Each episode features successful people who have embraced their true nature as free, independent, exceptional beings with the capacity for well-being, rather than accepting the victimhood mindset of the woke agenda. I'm your host, Ellen McCarthy, and I'm glad you've tuned into this episode. In this episode, I'm thrilled to be joined by a renowned professional speaker with a global reach, a member of the Motivational Speakers Hall of Fame, an innovator who joined forces with prominent conservative author, filmmaker, and speaker, Dinesh D'Souza, to create a platform that addresses the unique needs of conservative business people. Please join me in welcoming Chris Widener, CEO of the Red Referral Network. Chris. Thank you for being here. Hey, Ellen. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Can you tell our audience what the Red Referral Network is? Sure. Yeah, the Red Referral Network is a national movement of local-based groups of conservatives who want to do business with other conservatives. So they meet every week in a a location chosen by them, and uh, they get together. They get to know each other. They support one another. They learn from uh, one another, as well as from Dinesh D'Souza, who provides weekly exclusive content just for the members of the group. But the big thing about the uh, Red Referral Network, and that if you break it down word by word, it's red, it's conservative. They give referrals to one another, and it's a network of people who do that. So uh, we're very excited about it and, uh, and excited about the ways that it can change the lives and the business lives of the people who join. And I'm excited. I'm a member, and we'll get more into that later. And I can tell you, being a member, the support that you get from Chris and from Dinesh and from the other members is just absolutely fantastic. So, well, we we take customer service. Uh, we take customer service uh, very, very seriously. We want to make sure that everybody's happy. You know, uh, you know, probably that I worked with Zig Ziglar for a while and uh, had a television show with him. And one of my favorite quotes is, "You can have anything you want in life." if you help enough other people get what they want out of life. And that's really our philosophy is how do we help people in those locations? How do we help them get what they want out of life, which is building their business, having a better life, understanding what's going on in culture around them. So we really do as a leadership team have that philosophy is how do we support people? It's, it's not we're up here and everybody else is down here. It's actually the other way around. You know, uh, I always say in God's economy, we're the servants. Leaders are servants. They help other people. So that's really our philosophy. And I, I appreciate your, your kind words about it. How did you come to partner with Dinesh to start this, this initiative? Well, I've known Dinesh for quite some time. I think I interviewed him for the first time probably 10 years ago, and that's how we got to know each other. And, of course, you know, prior to knowing him and then, you know, just knowing him a little bit, saw his books, read his books, saw his movies, those kinds of things. And one of the things that Dinesh has talked about for a long time, actually one of the the, the leaders in this whole um, idea of parallel economies, right? You, you don't, if, if somebody's going to treat you poorly, you don't stay in that economy anymore. You don't, you don't give them your money anymore. Uh, I always say this, if somebody's going to call you a transphobic, homophobic, sexist, insurrectionist, they are entitled to their opinions. This is America. They are entitled to their opinions, but they are not entitled to your money. So if somebody has that opinion of me uh, and, and they are you know, running around telling everybody that uh, me and people like me are bad people, they're entitled to their opinion. And I don't have a problem with that, but I'm not going to do business with them anymore. So after a while, we just kind of looked around and said, I think it's time 
for uh, a new economy, an economy that's driven by conservatives doing business with conservatives rather than giving our money to people who hate us. No, absolutely true. And I was I was really glad that you just said what you did about them being you're entitled to your opinion. This is America, yeah. but we don't have to give you your our money. And I think yeah, that's and you know, so it's key. interesting, Ellen. One of the things that I've noticed as I did my research is, as we led up to, to launching this, conservatives are really good at boycotting big business. So we say, Amazon did this, I'm never shopping there again. Or, you know, uh, Walmart did this, or Target did that, I'm never going there again. Or Starbucks, Starbucks supported something that I didn't want to support, I'm never going there again. But let's take Starbucks for an example. You stop going to Starbucks, and now you transfer that $3, $4, $5, whatever you spend a day. I'm more of a drip coffee guy for, <laughs> for two bucks, but I know there's people that get the foo-foo drinks for five bucks. Now you stop going to Starbucks, and now you give it to a local coffee shop. The question I would ask first and foremost is, do you know what political positions your local coffee shop actually has? Because chances are they also support probably at least a 50% chance that they support the same kind of things that Starbucks does. So we're just shifting it over. But here's a statistic that I read that I found fascinating. Individuals and small businesses give eight times more money than big businesses do to politi uh, politicians and political organizations. So let's take Starbucks for an example. Uh, let's say that in their annual budget, they put in $10 million for political activity. Now they're probably 90% gonna be left-wing, left-wing organizations. Uh, they may sprinkle a little amongst some more moderate Republicans just to kind of give them the cover of, well, we're nonpartisan. But $10 million, that's a lot of money. But we're in a country of 330 million people. It doesn't take a lot of individuals or small businesses to outpace that 10 million. And that's exactly what happens. I mean, it's a, it's a million people given 10 bucks. It's 500,000 people given 20 bucks. It's 100,000 people given 100 bucks. And 100,000 people, it seems like a lot of people. But in a country of 330 million, it's really not, which is why eight times more money is given to, uh, to leftist politicians and political organizations from small businesses and individuals than from big businesses. So in a way, we're actually making it more likely that those organizations will get our money by spending it in local small businesses than in those big businesses. So it's sort of law of unintended consequences, I think. So how do we, how do we overcome that? You do business with people who share your common beliefs and values, right? That's why we started the Red Referral Network. Every single week, you'll get together with a group of, as the groups grow, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, and you'll get to know who these other people are in your group. And as you are out, um, as you're out and about doing your business, you might hear that somebody's looking for a real estate agent. And you say, I've got a real estate agent. Now, let's take a real estate agent, for example. You sell a $500,000 house. That's $15,000 in commission at 3%, which is a typical real estate's commission. $15,000 that is now available to whoever the real estate agent is to do whatever they want with. Now, most of it's going to go to their own living and, you know, those kinds of things. But some of it's going to go to a politician or a political organization. I want to make sure that that money is going to organizations that support the kinds of things that I want to see supported. And as Dinesh always says, in fact, I was on Dinesh's podcast. You're in good company. I was in Dinesh's podcast <laughs> yesterday. Um, and he was talking about how all the different, you know, groups that do it. And he said in, in India, Hindus do it. 
Uh, we do it here in America. Hindus who come to America, they want to do business with other Hindus, uh, people who come from their country and support their beliefs and their religion. Mormons have, have traditionally done it. Jewish people have traditionally done it. Amish. It's traditionally been done in religious uh, groups, but um, it, it's also in civic organizations. The people who belong to the Elks Club, they try to give business to other Elks members. Uh, same with Rotary and Kiwanis and, and all those kinds of things. So this is really about getting to know other conservatives in your location and doing business with them so that money gets uh, into their hands. And then some of that trickles into local politicians, federal politicians and, and political organizations. I can see it happening in, in our local community. I live in New York City, but we're in a part of New York City that is typically red. Mm. But we had, a, it's, it's called, it's the Rockaways and in oh. our neighborhood, it's, it's called Breezy Point. Yeah. We, we had a neighbor of ours was running for a local assembly person in New York, right? On the Republican conservative ticket. He was winning by 200 votes the day election day happened. The local, his opponent went out and by the time she mobilized everybody and he wasn't supported financially by the local Republican group, he wound up losing by, I think, less than 10 votes. Mm. So if I think a group like this, and in fact, I was speaking with him the other day because he was helping me identify prospective members of our local group, the Jamaica Bay, what I'm calling Jamaica Bay Red. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's tough. But the good thing is there are other conservatives. It's just in New York City, you're afraid to say you are. Oh, I grew up in Seattle, Ellen. I know all about being afraid to tell people what you believe. Because, and, and it's sad in a way because, you know, I, I think Republicans, it's not that we're embarrassed of what we believe. I think it's more of, do I really want to spend the next 20 minutes arguing with this person? Uh, to me, that's what it is. It's more of a time management. It's a time management <laughs> skill set more than anything. I, I try to decide, look, is this person open-minded? Because I'll talk to anybody who is open-minded and I'll have great debates. I don't mind debates. I don't mind people disagreeing with me uh, or even thinking I'm crazy as long as we can have a legitimate uh, debate. And as long as both people can be honest about it, you know, I don't know if you watch the five, um, but uh, I, I am actually friends with judge Janine and I love Harold Ford jr. And I'm also friends with my former congressman who served in Congress with Harold Ford jr. And I always say, you know why Harold Ford jr. Is my, is my favorite Democrat because he's rational and he will listen to you and he will concede a point when you are right. It's not just partisan politics. And I feel like that's the way that I am as well. I'm willing to listen, but let's make it a conversation about what's really going on in America. If I'm wrong, I'll concede a point. If you're right, I'll concede a point. But I expect you to do the same with me. And that's how you come to, to, to honest conversation. And I think we need more of that. But the problem is it's become so polarized and the left is so apoplectic about uh, things that it's very difficult to carry on those kinds of conversations. So often I just don't even respond. I just, I don't have time for this today. No, I hear you. And it, it wasn't always like that. Like you said, you, Harold, of course, he definitely does. I was talking to my husband about that the other day. He is somebody that you can have a rational conversation with. Yeah. Now I'm going to, I'm going to say something that's probably going to get real controversial, but our, our congressman for years was Anthony Weiner. Mm. Anthony was somebody that you could have those conversations with. 
and he could tell you his point and he didn't agree with you and you didn't agree with him, but he would get things done for you. I yeah. worked with him to get a local ferry service started for, for the community and to help the local Little League. He was just one of, it was a time, I think, too, when you could have those dialogues. And as you said before, it's really sad that we don't have that now. Well, and I think we also are experiencing the difference between a classic liberal uh, and the modern progressives. Uh, and, and probably the greatest example of that in our country is University of California at Berkeley. They were the birth of the free speech movement. And now it takes 400 police officers to get Ben Shapiro into a, into a room to speak there and back out again safely. And, and that is the classic example between a classic liberal and a progressive. And so you do have some of the older liberals who are more, you know, open-minded. They're more about uh, fixing things. But now what you're seeing is, is those classic liberals being driven by, uh, being driven by the progressive movement. I, I think Joe Biden is one of those people. Um, you know, when you look at some of the positions he took earlier in his career, it was much more aligned with what you would even see with some moderate Republicans. And now, though, he's being driven by the people who, you know, have the, the, the loudest voice and the money in the party. And that's what drives them to these radical leftist ideas. You know, just millions of people pouring across our border, uh, you know, uh, is just probably the most uh, obvious one that's going on now. And, uh, and, and he's letting it happen and destroying our country. And, you know, before he wouldn't have ever done that. No, not at all. You, you bring me to a segue where a lot of people, all right, they'll say conservatives, but especially the young people are asking, what is a conservative? What does that mean? And the, the Red Referral Network, I think you do a great job of, of saying what your values are. And I think those are conservative values. So tell our audience, if you don't mind, what are the values of the Red Referral Network? Sure. I think traditional values, although I also, as a conservative, I understand we live in America, which is a melting pot of lots of people who who uh, believe in, you know, different things um, and, and they need to be allowed to believe in different things. I mean, that's the beauty of America. Some countries, if you say you believe something, they take you out behind a building and shoot you through the head. Yeah. Right. Or they take you to the they take you to the top of the building and throw you off. Uh, that's one of the things I find very funny, not funny, strange about the LGBTQ community here in the U.S. that supports Middle Eastern people and, and uh, uh, Palestine and, and some of those places, because those folks would literally take if they found out you were gay, they would take you to the top of the building and throw you off. And, and so it just it makes no sense to me. So the way I usually describe it is, is it's the difference between the traditional worldview and the current worldview or the, the growing worldview. And it's simply this. It's the traditional Judeo-Christian capitalistic worldview. Now, there were politicians and leaders in our country who were not uh, Jew or Christian. They were deists or they were atheists or they were agnostics or whatever. But they held to a traditional value system that we call the Judeo-Christian worldview. You don't have to be a Jew or a Christian or a person of faith at all to hold to the traditional Judeo-Christian worldview. Now we have what I call the secular humanist, anti-God, anti-capitalism worldview. And here's the real problem with that, Ellen, is it used to be 60 years ago, Democrats and Republicans both came from that Judeo-Christian worldview and they argued how to implement it. Now you have people on both sides who hold different worldviews 
and they both believe that their side has a moral imperative. It's the moral imperative that both sides believe in that causes the, the, um, the concrete belief system that will never change. If you go to somebody who's pro-life, they're never going to say, well, you know, let's, uh, let's let them kill a few babies. We'll, we'll, we'll negotiate. We'll let them kill a few babies, right? And, and then the people on the, on the left would say, nobody should have any choice about what a woman does with her body. And to both of them, they see it as a moral imperative. It, it, and, and if when you see something as moral, now all of a sudden you see my position is good, your position is evil. My position is righteous, your position is unrighteous, and both sides see the other person that way. And therein lies the problem, never the two shall meet. And, uh, and, and so we're really, I believe, less in a political battle, but we're in a worldview battle. We're in, we're in a battle for the minds and the belief systems of Americans, because wherever you end up on, on the worldview, that's where you're going to end up politically. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And I don't know. I don't know where it goes. I mean, I've said well, and especially people- when you when we live in this world where you do have to be able to understand that other people have the right to their beliefs. I'll give you an example. Um, about a year and a half year, year and a half ago, we had the whole drag queen story hour thing that that got really big. And w- most of you listening today, you will remember if you remember about a year ago, maybe a little more. Uh, the video of the young girl who was petting the genital area of one of the drag queens at one of these shows that happened here in Chattanooga. The, the drag, the, the person in drag, they didn't tell her to stop. They didn't back away. They sat there and allowed it to happen for five or six seconds. And that blew up and everybody got angry as they should have. And so everybody was, you know, uh, apoplectic about it. And um, I, went to my local state senator and I said, what do we need to do to make this uh, illegal? You know, make drag shows 18 and over. And he said, get me 2000 signatures. So I did, I got him 2000 signatures. And now they passed a law in the state of Tennessee that drag shows are 18 and over. Well, I ended up on a lot of TV shows, a lot of radio shows. And I wrote an article for the Chattanooga. And basically what I said is, is, you know, if you're a, a, a man and you want to dress up like a woman and dance on tables, have at it. This is America but no 18 and unders there. We're not going to let you do it in the schools. And, and they, they, they have a problem with it. And I go, well, it's kind of like a, a traditional sort of heterosexual strip club, right? If a woman wants to take her clothes off and let people look at her, we have places in the, in the city or your state where people can go and do that. But nobody under the age of 18 gets to come in there. We, we don't have a problem with that. So I wrote an article for the Chattanooga, and the title of the article was How Conservatives and the LGBTQ Community Can Get Along. And basically what I said is this. I am a white, affluent, middle-aged, Republican, Christian male. And I know for a lot of you, that right there means you don't like me. And I'm totally fine with that. You don't have to like me. If, if something I am or something I did, you know, or some belief that I have makes you not like me, again, this is America. You are entitled to that. But you must accept that I have the right to be that. And I will accept that you have the right to sleep with whoever you want to sleep with or dress however you want to dress or put things in your nose and your face or tattoo, whatever you want to do. 
for you. I will accept that you have the right to that. But the problem I find with the left is they're not okay with just acceptance. They want approval. They want you to approve of them. It's not okay to say, hey, man, I think you're weird. I don't get why you do or think what you think. But you know what? It's America. Have at it. It's not enough. And so it moves from acceptance to approval. And then I believe it goes to acquiescence. We, now we need to start giving in. And then the last one is advocacy. They, they're moving us from just saying, hey, look, it's not my deal. You do you, I'll do me. That's not enough. What they're really driving is for me to, to bend the knee and advocate for why they are important or you know whatever. And, and it's, it's a real interesting battle that's going on in America today. No, absolutely. I mean, when you look at DEI, it's all about not just accepting, as you said. I mean, we used to have diversity and diversity, diversity groups, but it's gone so much further than that that now they want you to be an ally. Yep. Actually, you know yeah. what? That's a great. That's another A word. I'm going to throw, yeah. that, throw that in. Now you now you need to be you know, you know advocacy, and now you need to be the ally. And you go from being the guy that just says, "Hey, you know what? You do you." To everybody should be like this guy. You know. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but, um, I I think that, you know, if we can learn to articulate our position, well, I believe that people can think it through and figure it out for themselves. I I think that's definitely true. I think we fall into a trap a little bit in that we think people just assume that that they'll understand. I do think we have to spell it out. I really do. I mean, I also think that people aren't aware of what's really going on. You know, no. there's, there's a lot of people that never watch the news and, uh, and I can't remember the quote, but, uh, what was it? Denzel Washington. They asked once, they said, if you don't, if you don't, uh, read the newspaper, you're, uh, uninformed. And if you do read the newspaper, you're misinformed. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever seen him say that, but it's, it's kind of a funny thing, right? So I don't know if I'd rather have them uninformed, not watching the news, or if I'd rather have them misinformed by watching the mainstream news, but the uninformed people, they have no clue that these battles are happening. They, they have no clue as to what's going on. No, no. So again, and I, this is, a, I think a question for beyond this show, but how do you help people to be informed? I know Brandon Strzok, I, I've worked with him and, and his, his group. I think he's doing a wonderful job with the walk away movement. I think people like Scott Pressler, people like Lady Maga USA, all three of whom are gay, by the way, but yep. they are conservatives, are doing a great job. Uh, Prager U, I think, just got into a partnership to be in the schools in Arizona, which is driving the left crazy. Oh, yeah. How dare they teach this in our schools? What this? This is America. You're teaching American values. How can you be against that? But I think there needs to be a lot more of that. We can't just be complacent and say, oh, people just, they just understand it. No, because they don't have an avenue. They're being bombarded with the the mainstream media, as you put well, it. Well, in a way, so. we've abdicated our responsibility. Yeah. Uh, you know, conservatives tend to be, oh, I just go to work. I do my own thing. I mind my own business. You do you. I'll do me. Whereas the left is much more uh, in an advocacy kind of thing. They are trying to promote what they believe. They're trying to get people to require that they they push the boundaries, right? This is how you end up with uh, satanic displays 
in the state house next to the the uh, the Christmas decorations, right next to the picture, you know, right next to the the nativity set. Now now we have to have a satanic display because they purposely go after it and they use they use our complacency and and they use our laws against us in order just to kind of continue to push that edge and make us further and further away from it. Um, I think that the problem I mentioned earlier is not just a political problem. I think it's a spiritual problem. I think people need to get back in, into uh, connecting with uh, their own spirituality because I believe that that Judeo-Christian worldview uh, can really produce the right kind of worldview that allows you to articulate the things that you believe in. No, absolutely. And that's what I speak about and I work with my clients on. To be successful, you have to do three things. Connect with your creator and positive energy. You have to define who you are and what you want and you have to pivot. But it's that connection that's key. And that's whatever that spirituality means to you. I'm not going to shove mine down your throat and you're not going to shove yours down mine. But you have to have some kind of faith and, and connect with that every day. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm always happy to share my faith with people if they ask, but I also understand that people come to different uh, conclusions than I do. And that's totally fine. Again, the, the American project is so amazing that we, we have this melting pot. We have the ability to have, I mean, just all the belief systems and the cultures and, and all those kinds of things. And I do believe that that's its strength. And again, the left uses that against us in this whole immigration thing. It's right. You know, they quote, yeah. the, they quote the, the, the saying at the Statue of Liberty, and they say, that's why we should let all these people come in, because we're a melting pot. We need all these people. That's not the argument. The argument is, is how do we do it and how do we keep it legal? And, and that's really the argument. But the, the left is really good with language. Uh, I, I mean, they, they, they run circles. And I'm a writer. I wrote 24 books and I've given 2,500 speeches, you know, like you. You're, you're a speaker. And so words matter to us. And, and I'm just shocked at how we are constantly being beaten at the language game. And language is what moves people. And, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not mutilating a young woman's body. It's gender-affirming care. Who, how can you not be against gender affirming care, right? Or it's not, it's not a riot where they just, you know, turned over 16 police cars and burned the building down. It's a mostly peaceful protest, Ellen. And, and they're really, really good at that. And we need to get better at, at capturing language uh, in order to move people. No, I agree. I mean, the whole idea about reproductive rights, okay? Right. Whatever end of the spectrum you're on with that, you're forgetting that there's a baby involved. I mean, yeah. I say this, I, I was adopted. I was given up by my birth mother. I thank her every, I don't know who she was, but yeah. thank her. But there is an alternative to abortion. There are, we can't just talk about reproductive rights. We have to have that dialogue as, as you were, were saying before and just open it up to that. But it, it's hard, but I applaud you and Dinesh for giving conservative business people a forum where we can have our discussions, talk about what that means to us, figure out how we can speak to others in, in our neighborhood, how we can help the conservative movement while we prosper as businesses, because it is important. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a successful, prosperous business. Yeah. And, you know, we need to going back to how we talk to people. We need to learn how to communicate people. Let's talk reproductive rights. Just for one example, um, they they have a great slogan. Well, it's my body. It's my choice. 
Well, who can argue with that, right? But then you you got a couple things that we can say back to them, and that would be, well, you can't take your body and ball up your fist and hit me with it. That's that's illegal. So it's really not always your body, your choice. You can't take all your clothes off and walk down the middle of the street. That that's your body, and you're choosing to go naked down the street, but you don't get that choice. You're not allowed to ingest drugs unless you, you know, live in Oregon or Portland somewhere, you know, or wherever they are. You know, you're not allowed to, or, or San Francisco or these places where they're just shooting up on the streets now. Um, you're not allowed to do that. And fa- and frankly, I mean, I don't know if anybody's ever been prosecuted for this, but suicide is illegal in a lot of states. You're not allowed to kill your own body. It, it's it's against the law to kill your own. Well, but that's my body, my choice. So we have to help people think these things through. And I just don't think most people have ever articulated or learned how to articulate the other answer. And I think the the best answer to that is my body, my choice. I would say, here's your problem. That other body is not your body. That is another body. It happens to be inside of you and it happens to be getting nutrients from you, but it is still a separate individual and a separate human being. So we need to ask as a society, we need to say, okay, what is the the body inside of you and how do we as society protect it? Because that body does not have a choice. It can't make a choice. So society has to help make that choice and protect that child because we have a right to life. That is one of the, the, the rights that we have is a right to life. That body has a right to life. No, absolutely. Those those are the rights that were enumerated in the Declaration of Independence. Yep. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yep. You know, but there has to be that discussion. Um, we're we're coming close to to a half an hour. Um, how do people join the the Red Referral Network, Chris? Yeah, it's actually really simple. You come in, you go to redreferralnetwork.com, and you register. And once you register, you have a free membership to the overarching group uh, of the Red Referral Network, which will get you entitled to lots of discounts on all sorts of things. We've, we're launching a, a sharing, a health sharing company. We've got a business coaching program that's just coming up. We're launching in March. We've got a bunch of different uh, partners that we partnered with, and, and you can participate in all of those in a, in a free membership. But the paid membership is the local groups. And once you register, it will say, join a group, and then you can pick what you want to do. If, if you are a leader and you've got some leadership skills, we would love to partner with you to lead groups. In fact, the lifeblood of our organization is going to be new leaders who step up and say, I will serve. I'll host a meeting. I'll And, and you partner with us. We do leadership training. Uh, we give you all sorts of documentation. We give you the, the, the minute by minute way to host a meeting. You get a video every week from Dinesh D'Souza, which you can build your entire meeting around if you want to. Uh, we give you all the things that you need, and then you begin to meet locally. We teach you how to grow, uh, how to grow a group. We have built our technology so that we will actually help you grow a group. But if you just want to join a group, it will show you all the groups within 50 miles of your location. So we, uh, we're just launching, uh, I think we launched in 25 cities last week was our first week, which is great, uh, all around the country, lots of great people. And, uh, and so we're excited about that, but people can find out more at redreferralnetwork.com. And if you're located within 50 miles of the Jamaica Bay in New York city, look for Jamaica Bay red and join that group. Yeah. 
Uh, Chris, on your Facebook page, you share a daily success tip. Could you tell us, do you have a favorite? Oh, boy, I have so many different ones. Um, you know, I worked with a guy named Jim Rohn for seven years, and, and it's kind of funny. People, I get three responses when I tell people I worked with Jim Rohn. They either say, never heard of him, or he's my favorite speaker of all time, or are you talking about the guy on ESPN, which is Jim Rome, not Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N. Jim Rohn was a legendary speaker. He gave Tony Robbins his first job. When Tony was 17 years old, he went to work for Jim selling Jim Rohn seminars. Uh, and so uh, Tony and I were speakers at Jim's, uh, at Jim's uh, funeral memorial service in Anaheim. We had a few thousand people there for it, and, and it was great. But he has a lot of them. You know, off the top of my head, I think probably uh, my favorite one is this. Uh, a formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. And what I've gone on to say, taking that is, it's not what you learn in school that makes you successful. It's what you learn after you get out of school and what you apply that makes you successful. Not necessarily rich, but successful. Uh, and so I, I like that one. There's, I mean, there's dozens and dozens and hundreds of them. Zig is great. Jim Rohn is great. Tony Robbins is great. Uh, you know, all those kinds of things. But I'll tell you the best piece of advice that I ever got. Uh, it was a weird, it was actually kind of a weird situation. It's, it's, it's a funny story. Um, I, I call it a God thing, right? I was at a conference when I was 22 or 23 years old. I was by myself. I went to the conference by myself and it was like a three day conference. And we were during a break and there's hundreds of people there and you're just kind of milling around and, and I'm standing there and I kind of turn around and there were two women and they were about 50 and 30, 55 and 30. And the younger woman went like this. And she just looked at me and her jaw dropped open. And I'm like, eh, this is a little weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is weird. And then she looks at her mother. It ends up, I found out it was her mother. She looks at the older woman, her mother. She looks back at me and her mother says, is that him? And she goes, it is. And she says, well, tell him. And now I'll give you the backstory before I tell you what she told me. The mother told me later that in the middle of the night, her daughter woke up, they were in their hotel room. And she said, I just had the weirdest dream, mom. She said, what? She said, I saw a man in my dream and I'm supposed to give him some advice. And I'm like, okay. And, and apparently the night before she had seen me in a dream and she was supposed to give me some advice. And when we turned into each other at the conference, her jaw just literally dropped. So her mother says, now back to the story, her mother says, well, tell him. And she said, I'm supposed to tell you, be a voice, not an echo. And I have, I have, I mean, I was 23, I'm 50, I'll be 58 in, in a month. Um, so, you know, what is that? 35 years or something like that, right? And I have always remembered that. Be a voice, not an echo. And uh, I don't know really where it comes from. I've actually looked it up and somebody accredited it to Albert Einstein. But I think any quote, you can't find the person who said it. They, they attribute it to either Abraham Lincoln or Albert <laughs> Einstein. But, uh, but I have remembered that great piece of advice. And I give that out all the time. Be a voice, not an echo. We, didn't, we don't need more people who, who are just regurgitating what everybody else says. That's just an echo. Uh, and an echo gets fainter and fainter the longer it goes. Be a voice and uh, come to your own ideas. And, uh, you know, my friend, Mark Sanborn, I don't know if you're familiar with Mark or not. He's a sort of a big speaker and former past president of the National Speakers Association. He said the number one thing 
that a thought leader needs to do is think. How can you be a thought leader if you never think? You're not a thought leader if you're just telling somebody what somebody else said. That's a thought repeater. But a thought leader is somebody who actually takes the time to think. And I, I think we need a lot more thinking and a lot more voices rather than just echoing what somebody else said. No, that's so, so true. And I'll tell you, that's really why <clears throat> after about a 40-year career in corporate America, where in the last decade or so, I just couldn't be myself. I, you couldn't be a conservative. You couldn't. Yeah. And I just, I, I walked away and I'm doing what I do now because I wanted to do something. I didn't want to just be silent. Yeah, good for you. Or, or just let things echo around me. So yeah. that, that, that's a great, great quote. Um, I, I really want to thank you for joining the podcast today, Chris. Uh, just reminding our listeners that you can find the Red Referral Network at redreferral.com and follow Chris on Facebook at uh, Chris Widener Speaker. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you, Chris. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Ellen. I appreciate you. Appreciate you too. That's it for this episode of the Non-Woke Coach Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Please follow the show on your favorite podcast listening platform so you don't miss the next episode. While you're at it, please sign up to our email list at linktree backslash Coach where you can also download free success resources and learn more about my private coaching packages. I'm Ellen McCarthy, the non-woke coach. And until next time, keep embracing your true successful nature.